did those did those guys do a good job or or not now? I, I'm I'm going to take a little partial credit for this this morning because I've been I've been after them to lead us to lead us in worship, and I just I just appreciate it. You know, I just really do feel like we could feel your spirit. You know, we've, we've got, we have Abby, and we have Jillian, and we have Jennifer, and we have Zach. But these guys are here all the time. And I, I'm just, we're grateful for you. We love you. I want you to just be praying for them because I, I feel like that the, farther, the more they get to do this, the more they're going to enjoy doing this. I've said, I've, I told Josh, I said, Josh, I want you to have those guys, your guys, pick out songs they want to sing. Pick out songs that have moved you. And let's sing them. Lead us in them. Justin, you need, this is your birthday, buddy, so you need to come forward. And, and I'm, I'm, all of them, they can all sing. They can all play something. You know, I mean, can you imagine the talent up here? I, I just, I, I can't get over that. Well, folks will say, Pastor Walker, how did you get all those musicians, those, that level of musicians? They're the best musicians in San Antonio. That's what they say. And here we have them week after week, and we love you and appreciate you and really mean that. Really mean, if I could play a saxophone, I'd play it just like that. But I can't play a saxophone, so we're just, that's so good. Amen. Well, you guys, thank you. Bless you. I'll let you, we'll let you go. Well, good morning. Good morning. Alamo City family in the house and Alamo City family, wherever you all are. Just, we got, we got Alamo City we can see and Alamo City we can't see. But somehow there's a connection by the Lord. He's just doing amazing things and, um, and I'm grateful. Very, very grateful to just have a, have a part with you in these, in these days. So here's the question for today. Why does God wait to heal? Why does God wait to heal? Since he didn't cause the suffering or the sickness, and since he is all-powerful, and since he is perfect in his love, why does he wait to heal? This is not going to be an attempt to answer, to track down all of the lines of thought off of the subject of the love of God and the suffering of man. I'm going to attempt to, for this to be the conclusive answer to all points of discussion. But I do believe that in your copy of the Scripture, in the life of Jesus, there are some wonderfully encouraging answers to that question. Why does God wait to heal? Now, I want you to just listen this morning, and, and you can try to follow along in your copy of the Scripture, but I'm going to be reading from a different translation, from the one that I normally read from. This is the Passion Translation. Mark chapter 5, and starting in verse 21. Why does God wait to heal? And Jesus returned from across the lake. A huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. Just then, a man saw that it was Jesus. So he pushed through the crowd and threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. He pleaded with Jesus, saying over and over, Please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death, and she's only 12 years old. 
Come and lay your hands on her and heal her, and she will live. Immediately, Jesus went with him, and the huge crowd followed, pressing in on him from all sides. Now, in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was getting worse instead of better. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up from behind him and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if I could touch even his clothes, I know I'll be healed. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. He turned and spoke to the crowd, saying, who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, what do you mean who touched you? Look at this huge crowd. They're all pressing up against you. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd, looking for the one who had touched him for healing. When the woman who experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him, trembling with fear, and threw herself down at his feet, saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story of what had just happened. Then Jesus said to her, Daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. And before he had finished speaking, people arrived from Jairus' house and pushed through the crowd to give Jairus the news. There's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. But Jesus refused to listen to what they were told and said to the Jewish official, don't yield to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. So they left for his home, but Jesus didn't allow anyone to go with them except Peter and the two brothers, James and John. When they arrived at the home of the synagogue ruler, they encountered a noisy uproar among the people, for they were all weeping and wailing. And upon entering the home, Jesus said to them, why all this grief and weeping? Don't you know the girl is not dead, but merely asleep? Then everyone began to ridicule and make fun of him. But he threw them all out. The word there for through is the verb that's often used in reference to demons being cast out. It is something that only one with authority could exercise. He threw them all out. Then he took the child's father and mother and his three disciples, and went into the room where the girl was lying. He tenderly clasped the girl's, the child's hand in his and said to her in Aramaic, which would have been their the common tongue, Talithakum, which means, little girl, wake up from the sleep of death. Instantly, the 12-year-old girl sat up stood to her feet and started walking around the room. Everyone was overcome with astonishment seeing this miracle. Jesus had them bring her something to eat, and he cautioned them repeatedly that they were to tell no one about what had happened. Well, now that statement right there is, one, how in the world was that going to happen? When that girl who had been dead, and they knew, how was the crowd not going to know about that? 
More than likely, Jesus was referencing the Jewish religious authorities who were concluding that his power was not from God, his power was from Satan. And their time to come against him would eventually come. But for now, the news of what had happened didn't necessarily need to be passed purposefully up in that direction. They would know the cross would come. Jesus would face his accusers. But back to our question. Why? Why does God wait to heal? I want to offer for you four reasons. Again, not exhaustive, but from this passage that I think we can, we can pull out very easily. They're very obvious. The first one is this. The wait, the wait to heal creates desperation. Secondly, the desperation drives a search. Number three, the search often gathers a crowd. And then number four, the search is to end in the presence of Jesus. Now, what is going to happen when the search ends in the presence of Jesus? Jesus is then likely to do one of three things. The first would be he is likely to set healing in motion, in the moment, to set healing in motion. Or he can speak a word that causes strength and hope to rise up in the heart. Or thirdly, he could give a peace to the heart that he is coming to take his friend home. Now, we'll work our way down to those this morning, but let's go, let's go back to the first two or three that we mentioned. Why, why does God wait to heal? The weight creates desperation. The woman had tried all the doctors. The woman had used up her resources, and she was still suffering and getting worse. The 12-year-old girl, Jairus' daughter, was sick, and she kept getting sicker. It was apparent to her dad, not a doctor, but her dad, and watching his daughter. He knew that she was getting worse, desperately, desperately, desperately. The woman sought for help. She just had heard about Jesus. She hadn't read the, the gospel of Mark. She, all, all she knew was that there was this young man known as a rabbi or teacher, a traveling itinerant teacher, and folks are saying that he has the power to heal. I've tried everything I know, so I'll try him. Desperation has a way of creating openness in a heart. That was the time when Benny Hinn came to San Antonio several years ago. Now, Benny Hinn, as you'll know, was, was known around the world as a faith healer. He dressed in white suits. He had white hair, and he was known as a faith healer. So there would be crusades, large crowds in Africa, as well as large crowds across Europe and here in the U.S., 
he came here, Freeman Coliseum. I went. I, I, I heard all kinds of things and was just wondering, what, what, what is this, just a show? What, what, what is this? Is this a charlatan? I walked into Freeman Coliseum, and when I got there, it looked as if that place was filled from the lowest floor to the highest row of seats with desperate people looking for some kind of hope that their suffering could come to an end. It was as if there were wheelchairs all the way out into the parking lot. There were folks on crutches. That There were folks carrying oxygen bottles in attached to their wheelchair. Some of them looked like EVIVs were still hooked up. Here's what I want you to know, folks. Is that even though Benny Hinn hadn't showed up yet, in that room filled with desperate people, there was an amazing sense of the presence of Jesus in the room. I don't have any reports from that meeting as to who was healed or who was disappointed that they didn't get what they came for. But what I can tell you is there was something of desperation, something, do you hear me? There was something of desperation in the hearts of those thousands that somehow it seemed as if the heart of heaven was open to. Why does God wait to heal? A wait creates a desperation, and the desperation drives a search. A search. It, it, it can be experimental medicines that, that haven't even necessarily been approved, but, but if there's hope that it would help me, then I'm open. You see, sometimes on the healthy side of sickness, on the, on the healthy side of suffering, you, you can draw your conclusions and make your judgments. Why would anybody ever go to a faith-healing service. Why, why would anybody risk medicines and so forth that haven't been? It's just because you haven't ever been that desperate. And the hope there is that your heavenly Father knows what you're feeling. He knew what this woman was going through. Twelve years and no change. It run through her resources at the end of everything physically that she could provide and still no hope, but still the longing to be well. The heavenly father knew what that earthly father was feeling when his baby girl lay dying. He understood the desperation. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Let that end today. It may not be that everything has changed, everything is smoothed out yet, but heaven is not oblivious to the desperation in your heart, maybe today. So Jairus, the dad, laid aside his dignity. He, he was the ruler of the local synagogue, the chief of the local synagogue. That was a position of prominence. That was more than likely a position of prosperity or some measure of wealth, some degree of dignity. But it didn't matter anymore. All that his world was consumed by in that moment was his daughter. And he pressed through the crowd just like any other common person would press through to get to Jesus. The wait 
The wait creates desperation. And the desperation drives a search. And the search often gathers a crowd. I'm not sure how many of you might have been watching Monday Night Football on the night of January the 2nd when a young defensive player, a safety named Damar Hamlin, made a tackle on a wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. And after Damar hit the wide receiver, he took a couple of steps back and he collapsed on the field. Went into cardiac arrest. And they came out, the medical staff came out, they CPR, they two or three different times, they had to get his heart started again. But did you hear the prayer? that the ESPN host, not known until that moment, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus, saw what was going on, and to his heart, to his spirit, he just said out loud, we need to pray. And he took off praying. National television, prime time, praying for the Lord in his mercy, How, whatever the words were to his prayer, but just crying out, national TV. You, you, you could see the players on the field, field, all of a sudden, it didn't matter what team they were on, all that mattered was that their heart of compassion went out to that young man. When your suffering gets known, the crowd that will be attracted to your suffering is a crowd of compassion. And, and often it happens that way, that when the news is shared about what's going on with us, the Lord uses that to continue to build for his purposes an army of the amazed and the persuaded. Josh Allen, the quarterback of Buffalo Bills, has made the comment that what he has seen happen to his teammate and in the days following that injury, the things that have been going on within his teammates of the Buffalo Bills, he used the word. This is an NFL court. He used the word, it's been a spiritual awakening for me. He says, I've, 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 I would say I'm a Christian, many would say I'm a Christian, but, but not until this has happened has something happened, this is what he said, that has never happened inside me before. Folks, God waits to heal our suffering Sometimes, and maybe many times, because it's more than just you or just me that he's wanting to be stirred and affected by what's going on. He wants there to be many who, as they pray for you, when you get your prayer answered, then a whole lot of other people have gotten their prayers answered too. Uh, that was the thing that this Josh Allen, the quarterback, would, would say as I, as I began to watch, as, my, as our teammates had begun to watch, how he's gotten better. He's gotten better. He's not completely well, but he's out of the hospital. Seven or eight days later, he's back in Buffalo. The stunning transformation of a young man dying on a field to walking out of a hospital got the attention of the crowd that was aware of what was going on and drawn to show compassion. Can we let that in today? Can we let that in? It's not just about your healing. 
or just you as an individual about the healing of someone you care about, but it's about God's heart for the rest of those compassionate ones that know about the situation and are praying with you. The weight creates desperation. The desperation drives a search, and the search often gathers a crowd, and the search is to end up in the presence of Jesus. Jairus may never have met Jesus before. He had only heard about him. The woman more than likely the same. But nothing in their worlds changed until they got in the presence of Jesus. Not, nothing in their world that really mattered to them. See, that, that, that's what suffering will do. It, it, it simplifies life in a sense down to the things or the thing that matters the most to us. And nothing about that thing changed until they got in the presence of Jesus. You say, well, but, but, but pastor, he's not walking around in a human body anymore. I can't go find him. Oh, yes. You can. What does your Bible say? Christ in you is your hope of glory. What else does he say? Where two or three of you have gathered together in my name, there I am in the middle of the circle. Who is he? Who is he? Even more powerful, with greater authority now than he had when he walked the face of the earth and rebuked the demons and walked on the sea and healed the sick. He went to the cross, obeyed the Father's commission upon his life to be the Savior of the world, laid his life down so that you and I could be set free, buried Raised again on the third day, but that was not the end of it. And folks, we've got to quit stopping just there. Something else happened to Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And Peter hammers it home in, in, in his, his Pentecost sermon. What's going on here that you see poured out upon all of us is that this is the exalted Jesus raised up and seated at the right hand of the, of the Father with all authority and all power given to him, and he has poured forth his Spirit upon us, and that's what you're looking at, and that's what you're hearing. He has been given the name like he didn't have before Calvary, the name that is now above every other name, because he humbled himself, because he was yielded to the Father's will, the Father put upon him, this is it, the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, we sang about this a minute ago, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Get yourself into the presence of Jesus. That, that means his presence, the sense of his presence more and more building and, and giving you the sense of reality within you. But folks, listen, it also means to get yourself into the company of some other brothers and sisters who believe that this is true. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But when Jesus said, two or three have gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you, Know that I'm there. I'm not on the back side of heaven. I'm not on the other side of Mars. I'm not more interested in China than you. I'm here. You call upon my name. You truly, truly, I say to you, John 14, 12, the works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. In the presence of Jesus. And folks, I'm telling you, 
we got to quit saying this. I just need to get back to church. I just need to get back to church. I just need to get back. Stop saying that. As if it's a building. It's a schedule. It's a location. You better get yourself. If there were to ever be a change in what matters most to you, get yourself into the presence of Jesus. He's not a building. He's not stained glass. He's not sheetrock. He is alive and desires to make his presence known and the effects of his presence known in the lives of people. And when we gather in his name, not in the name just of a denomination or just in the name of a Christian program, but we gather in his name. We're wanting you, Jesus. We're here to love you. We're here to bless you. We're here to listen and correct our paths according to what you want us to do. Make your presence known. And in that place to just be able to know that you can pray, Lord Jesus, what you did before, we're believing that not one whit of what you were on this earth has been changed. It's even greater now. Bring your power according to all that's in your heart to this one who is sick, to this one who is suffering, to this one who is desperate. You get yourself into the presence of some folks like that and things change. They change. How? How do they change? We mentioned three things. When there is the sense of the Lord's presence in the place of prayer, in the place of that kind of fellowship, and in just you by yourself, but you sense that he's there, and you're bringing your suffering to him, or the one you love who is suffering, you're bringing them to The first thing is that the Lord has the power in that moment to end the suffering for the rest of the sufferer's life down here and even beyond. He has the power and the, he has the heart to end the suffering. In this past year, there have been two beautiful teenage girls one in San Antonio, another in the Midwest, that had come be known to us of physical sufferings, conditions. One, and her name is Chloe, an asthma condition that deteriorated over time into lung, inf lung infections and other related conditions that at one point in time, just a few months ago, had grown to the point that the doctors were not sure if they could save her. Not just a quality of life issue, but it was a life and death issue. And the daddy, the father of Chloe, whom I know, and if I called his name, many of you would know him as well, and, and, and her mom, began to just say, would you pray for our daughter? Would you pray for our daughter? There were many, not just here, but scattered around. They're praying for Chloe. Lord, your power, in your name, you get the glory. Bring an end to her suffering. We're asking you to bring her through. As time went on, the, the crisis needle passed, and she began to get better. And she continued to get better. And she continues, I just asked her dad this morning, how's Chloe? He said, well, she's a pretty typical 16, 17-year-old pastor who she is, back in school where she needs to be doing it with the mark of heaven. The Lord did something. He set in motion as we began to pray the healing that would bring her to wholeness to this day. There was another young lady named Maddie in the Northwest, or in the Midwest, she was diagnosed with acute leukemia. Senior in high school, beautiful, plans for a future college, and all of a sudden this hits. 
her, her, her dad, a good friend, said, David, is there any way that you all could join us in prayer? And I, we got connected along with Chloe, with our intercessors, and, and let many of you know of, of, of Maddie's need. There was a point in time where she had lost all of her hair. The, the, the doctors had been through the series of treatments that they felt were necessary for this, for this leukemia to be properly addressed, but then an infection during the season of recovery erupted, and, and because her immune system was so, was so affected, her body couldn't fight it off, and it ended up being something up in her skull, in her brain, where they were concerned about an infection there, and there was literally a point in time where it looked as if she might not live. It was a life and death issue. But folks, the prayers of the Lord's people and the sense of the presence of Jesus crying out to him, and Lord, make your presence known. Give those doctors what they need. Give to, give to mom and dad what they need. Lord, we're asking you to raise her up. There was never a sense that it was time for either one of these children, these daughters, to be taken home. This was something the enemy was doing to try to set them back, but the Lord wanted to defeat that. The Lord wanted to raise them up and rescue them. I talked to Maddie's dad just a day or two ago, texted together. I said, how's she doing? He said, she's just finished her first week of classes at a major university in the South. Day or two before, a couple weeks before that, he sent me a picture of Maddie, and, and this is the one who was all wired up, and they were saying she may or may not make it, we're not sure, and I see her, there's a video of, she's a barrel racer, she rides those rodeo kind of horses, those big, she was, she was taking off out of the chute and making the lap around those barrels and going by, and she was supposed to have possibly died just months ago. Folks. That, that we're not having to read these examples out of the Scripture as accurate as they are. They are real time. They are here and now. Jesus can step into your suffering and reverse it in an instant or set in process the healing that he chooses. Amen. Amen. And we, without apology, pray for the sick. We pray for the suffering in the name of Jesus and believe him to do what he chooses, wants to do, and knows his best. So that's one thing that he can do in his presence. The second one is this, that he can speak a word to your heart. And the result of that word is grace for you to be strengthened and to walk in hope. Even though the suffering in its physical context and content may not have changed. What, can I just dare you to find this one in the, your copy of the Scripture? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Many of you are familiar with this. But see, folks, when we talk about the Lord doing what the Lord does, we've got to leave all the categories open. He can heal on the spot. He can set in motion the healing process. But he can also say this. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Verse 8. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord. Now, that word entreat it could also be translated, I begged. It, 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 is, it, is, it is the passionate cry of someone who is longing for something to change, either by a gift being given or a reversal being brought to lead to correction. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, the Lord said to me, the Lord said this to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul responds, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me, not just visit me, not just come upon me in my darkest hours and then leave, but may dwell, live in me, inhabit me, dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, 
with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am strong, when I, when I am weak, then I am strong. Some folks try to manipulate the text and say, well, this thorn in the flesh was not physical. It was just something spiritual. Give me a break. Go check your Greek lexicon, the word that translated weaknesses. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. Is the same Greek word that specifically applies to physical sickness and physical weaknesses in many places. So you don't, don't, you don't need to worry about manipulating it. To say, well, God oh, always going to heal the physical, always going to heal the physical. Oh, he's always going to get glory when he heals the physical. Just, can you just put it in the context of Scripture? Paul suffered, but he was able to say He knew about healing. He knew the Lord had raised him up before, and he was able to, to impart healing in the name of Jesus to many others that he prayed for. He said, the signs of the apostle are abundant before you demonstrations of power, sicknesses being healed, miracles happening. But in this case, I asked the Lord three times to take this from me. And he said to me, he spoke a word to me. He spoke a word to my spirit. I got it. I heard it. My power, Paul, is going to be perfected in your weakness. He had said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the what? And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his resurrection. So the Lord is saying, you, you, you're asking me to know me in my power. And I'm saying to you, Paul, that for you to know me in the fullness of my power, it's going to need to be in the context of you knowing how weak you are. To know how strong I am, <laughs> you're going to have to have vividly working in you the awareness of your own weakness. Not because you're a sinner, not because you're backsliding, not, not because the devil's having his way with you, but it's just that the backdrop for my power is always weakness. It's weakness. My power to heal is against the backdrop of sickness. My power to deliver is against the backdrop of a life in bondage to darkness. So the Lord says, and he says it in such a way that Paul understood, and from the power of those words, evidently Paul never asked another day for Jesus to remove the thorn in the flesh from him. Because he understood now why it remained. So the Lord can, in his presence, in the moment, implement the healing flow, the healing process. But he can also, in that place of his presence, speak a word to you that will enable you to continue on in your walk, following him with strength and hope and a realization that he's got you, he's carrying you, hallelujah. The third thing, that in his presence, he can make known to us, it's this. He could grant to us a peace that he's coming to take his friend home. I've done lots of funerals over the years and celebration services over the years. And I realize, I recognize that when we say we have lost someone or someone has died, that there is connected with that, the human part of the grief, because what that's meaning is, I'm, I'm not going to see them. I'm not going to enjoy their company. They're not going to be where I am. And the reason for that is, 
They've gone to be where Jesus is if they know the Savior, if they know the Lord. It really is the greatest miracle when a follower of Jesus closes his or her eyes in death, physical death, only to open those eyes up and Jesus has come for them. In my Father's house, he said, are many mansions. Stop, stop being troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. I will come again and receive you unto myself. This is how that reads. So that where I am, you may be also. There have been ones who have walked the halls of Alamo City over the years that have said to me, Pastor, this is my diagnosis, but I don't want you to call a prayer meeting for me because the Lord has given me a peace that I'm going home. I'm going home. Folks, if we could just see for one split second the other side, if we could just hear for one split second the sounds of the millions, if not billions, of voices loving Jesus, the sounds of the angels, the sights of glory, the face of our Savior, where there's no more night, because Jesus is the lamp that lights the day so that there is no night. Where there is no more suffering, where he would say in Revelation 21, in that place there is no more mourning, there is no crying, there is no pain, there is no death. When we say, because we haven't seen that place, and it's understandable, Oh, we've lost them. We've lost them. They've died. Did they know Jesus? Yes, I believe they knew Jesus. And you say you've lost them? Would you think again about Lost to this current companionship. Lost to this physical dimension. But the devil didn't win and Jesus lost. When someone leaves this life and goes into the presence of the Savior, the greatest gift God can ever give you besides the death of Jesus on the cross and forgiveness is heaven. It's heaven. So when we are left mourning and we, we are left with a sense of loss, our prayers, and I say this hesitantly, but if we're not careful, our prayers can be all about selfish, all about our perspective. We had the memorial service yesterday for Willardine Ramp, 98 years young. I can guarantee you that if somehow we could get a pipeline from here and stick a microphone into Willardine's face this morning, she would say, number one, don't pray that God will send me back down there. <laughs> I'm home, and I'm loving it, and I'm well, and I'm not ancient of days anymore. I'm young, and I'm going to be a part of what makes this place home when you get there. So we, we've got we've to lose this thing of defeat. Oh, they died. Oh, 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 they're, they, 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 they've, gone, they, they, they've gone to heaven. What is the rest of the story? Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so that you and I could go to the Father's house. That's where we live forever. This is all going to fade and be destroyed, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth one day. Amen. So, so, so in that place of the, 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 the suffering creates a desperation. And the desperation drives a search. 
And the search may generate a crowd of compassionate people who love you and are praying with you and for the ones that you care about. But that search is to end in the presence of Jesus. And in that place of the sense of his presence, he can heal you on the spot. Hallelujah. And I've given you a couple examples of that. He can speak to your heart. I'm going to give you a measure of provision and ability that will satisfy you and keep you going, even though this season of suffering may linger for a bit longer. My word to you will result in grace and strength. But then he may also give you the peace. Come on home. I'm coming. I'm coming to take my friend home. I'm coming to take you. Instead of that being panic, I'm going to say, the ones that I've heard say that, I hadn't heard it yet. Charlie, I just want you to know that. I hadn't heard it yet. But the ones that have heard that, instead of it being this, oh, man, the devil's just whipped me. He's just won everything. It's just, this is just awful. It's the sense that, wait a minute, wait a minute. My forever is just about ready to begin, and my sickness I'll leave down here. My weakness, I'll leave down here. My struggle with the flesh will leave down here. I'm going to be in the presence of my Savior, of my Father, the life of the Spirit all over everywhere, and the brothers and sisters, millions of, millions of them in glory, singing praises, serving the Lord. You say, well, will I know him? How did did Peter know that it was Moses and Elijah, both of whom had died hundreds of years before Peter ever drew a breath? But in that moment when heaven came down and Jesus was clothed in all of his glory that heaven afforded him, but there by his side were those two men (laughs) And there wasn't a team meeting at the 50-yard line. Moses, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, John, Moses, and Elijah. Would you all shake hands and then flip the coin and see where we're going to kick off? No. They just knew. It says that we we will know as we are also known. That yes, we'll see them. But no, they won't be crippled and old and weak and suffering the former things have passed away. I, I've, I've have done this sometimes over the years, and folks come up and say, Pastor, that, that really sounded good. All you're talking about heaven. I'm just not ready to get on the bus today. I believe it's true, but I'm just not ready to go. Understand. But when the Lord, and maybe it won't happen, But when there is allowed to come our way a season of suffering, and it's led us to a desperate pursuit of him, and in that place of meeting him, he will make his pleasure, he will make his heart known to you and to me. So why does God wait? Because he knows that desperation, as he guides it, will lead us to a good place. And that place called heaven has only one entrance into it. His name, Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. To all of you who are listening today, in this room, in our streaming family and friends, have you ever, with the words out of your own mouth, said, Lord Jesus Christ, I receive you 
into my heart as my Savior and my Lord. With the mouth, confession is made, the Scripture says. It's not a, oh, I hope I make it to heaven. You know, you'll know, you'll know. How are you going to know if you're going to take I-35 to get you to Dallas? You'll know because you're on the road. How will I know that heaven is my home, that I have a place in my Father's house? It will be because you are on the road, Jesus, Jesus. I am the way. I receive you, Jesus, as the way to the Father's house. It all starts there. And the relationship with him, and then his coming to make his presence known as his spirit grows and dominates in our lives. And we hunger after the word, and we find these promises and these instructions in his word that just can blow our minds because of their magnitude and their grandeur, their splendor, and their wonder. It's our birthright. It's our inheritance. As a lover of Jesus, as a follower of the Savior, please do that right where you are. Just those who would say it out loud, Lord Jesus Christ, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. I want to go to heaven when it's my time to go, but I want to know what it is for your presence to be alive in me down here. Amen. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me, please? Those of you in this room, our Alamo City location. Good. Thank you, sir. How's that? Whoops, that's got, got it. Okay. I feel like as we close this morning that we need to pray. Uh, thank you for the word this morning, babe. And I, as, as we pray, uh, the, you read a scripture out of the, the, that translation, and he said to Jairus' family, don't yield to fear. Mm-hmm. And, and so we specifically want to pray for healing this morning. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. And this morning, as this word has been spoken, there may be, have been a place where life came to your heart, where you realized there's hope there. There's hope for me. I don't have to believe the diagnosis that's been given. I don't have to stay in the place of confusion and fear. And, and so we want to pray for you this Amen. morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are the life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that what is impossible with man is possible with you. That there is nothing impossible for you. You are the Lord God of all living things. And so where we have heard impossible, today we believe you. For the possible. We believe you, Lord. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord, where you have caused hope to rise in our hearts today in Jesus' name. We just agree with heaven. Come, thy kingdom, be done your will. We pray, pray for ones in bedrooms today. We pray for ones in hospital rooms today. We pray for ones in parking lots today that have given up hope. We thank Thank you that we stand in agreement with your heart for them in Jesus' name. We stand against fear. Fear, you must go. You have no place Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Our Father is a good Father. And with him, nothing is impossible. And Lord Jesus, we embrace your healing power today for our lives. We embrace your empowering Ability to give us hope, to give us strength, to give us, um, to remove the cloud of darkness. Mm. And Lord Jesus, we give you the glory 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Prayer partners, if you'll join us here at the front, please, so we can pray with those of you in this room who would want us to pray with you. The Lord is at work, and the Lord is speaking, and the Lord is wanting to bring that fresh sense of faith and life and courage to you, to us. Amen. Now let's close our time together, can we, with the blessing? We call it the blessing around our house, out of Numbers chapter 6. Just open your hands if you want to. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May he again cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. In the name of the Father, in the name of his Son, Jesus, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Would you hug somebody's neck on the way out if you want to and come this way and we, if we can pray for you and with you. Streaming family, God bless you. Let us hear from you if we can pray with you. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. We'd love to be in the fight with you. God bless you.